Thanks for joining us on the Oasis Church Podcast. To find out more about Oasis, visit CelebrateTheJourney.org. During this episode, Pastor Dennis Ritchie shares a great message that will lead you to new and deeper levels with Jesus Christ. So open up a Bible, grab a notebook, or simply listen along. Uh, so the section of scripture that I didn't get to last week was uh, verses 1 through 10 in chapter 16. And it's a place where Paul and Silas, and they, they're on this missionary journey. Uh, again, they're heading out. Um, they're establishing churches. That, well, that's the desire to establish churches. They uh, are preaching the gospel, encouraging the churches where they used to be. And it seems that on this journey the Holy Spirit is actually closing doors for Paul, stopping him from going to certain places to preach the gospel. Now, it's it's interesting to me that God would be closing down opportunities to preach his word, but he wants to make sure that things are going to go according to his plan, not necessarily Paul's plan, and so God is always intervening in his people's lives. But yet, during this time, Paul has this dream, this vision, that some guy from Macedonia says, Paul, come, we need some help. And so Paul decides, well, this must be from the Lord. And so he packs up and he gets, he gets on his way. And what we see here is, is God beginning to now establish the church, making headway into Europe. Jesus said in Matthew 28 to, that you're going to be my witness to the ends of the earth. And so now we see the ends of the earth beginning to come into, into focus. So they get their marching orders. They head out to Macedonia. They hit a few places on the way. They end up in a place called Philippi. And it's there that we're going to pick up on what this group is doing. So on the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from a city, the city of Thyateria, named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to their home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. So there's no synagogue in Philippi. And we know this uh, because it's a Jewish tradition that there needs to be 10 male heads of household in a city for a synagogue to be established. And so if there is no synagogue in a certain city, the believers, the Jews, would, uh, would gather on the Sabbath near either, it could be near the ocean or near a body of water, near a river, and that's where they would pray. That's where they would kind of, if, if, uh, if to use a modern term, they would hold church uh, by a riverside. That's why Paul and his companions, they went down to the river looking for people, looking for Jews who would, who would be praying. And now they find a small group there. It's a small group of women. And one uh, catches Luke's uh, eye. Her name is Lydia. And it says that she is a worshiper of God. So Lydia, a Gentile businesswoman, probably pretty wealthy, has converted to Judaism. 
And for whatever reason, kind of Paul, I mean, uh, Luke kind of sets his sights on her and he mentions her by name, writes about her. Now she's probably wealthy and the people that were with her, um, family and possibly her, her servants. So Paul preaches the gospel. The Lord opens her heart to receive the message of Jesus. And it says that her and the member of her household were baptized. Lydia has this divine appointment with Paul. And what I would really like you to notice here is this little piece of information that they were baptized. Right away, she and her household was baptized. And it's a very important gospel truth because there are way too many people And I believe even within our church, way too many people that wait until they're ready to be baptized. They wait until they believe that they they know more. They can can recite chapter and verse more. They wait until maybe they clean up their behavior some. Um, They they, they behave well. They behave like a Christian. Maybe they want to get some time under their belt. Well, the only concern with that is it's unbiblical because... You can't get yourself cleaned up. That's why we need Jesus, a Savior, him by the power of his spirit. He cleans us up. And so you're never going to arrive to a place in in your morality, in your ethics, in the way you behave to say, now I'm ready to be baptized because you're never going to be. It's it's the work of God in you that brings you to that point. And you're never going to come to a place of finally understanding God. Oh, I have him figured all out now. I'm good to go. That's never going to happen. There's always more to understand. If if we spent a thousand years every day studying the scripture, we will never come to the end of the revelation of who God is. And you're never going to get to that point in your relationship with him where it's like, we're, we're done. Like, I can't get any closer to Jesus than I am right now. We're always moving on this continuum. Actually, we're moving either toward him or we're moving away from him. There's never any stagnance. We might think or feel stagnant, but we're either moving toward or we're moving away from him. Matthew, again, Matthew 28, Jesus says, go, make disciples, and baptize. Baptism is a very important part of our journey of faith. It is not, please hear me, it is not a means of salvation. That means that you do not get baptized and then you're saved. That's not what the scripture teaches. It's faith and faith alone in Jesus Christ. But baptism is a very important part of our journey. Paul kind of touches on it a little bit briefly in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 when he talks about how the people have been baptized in the cloud, baptized in Moses, and baptized in the sea. Now, baptized in the cloud, baptism of the Holy Spirit, baptized in Moses, it's, it's this joining of uh, community, of God's people. And baptism is a sea, and the sea is a water baptism. And what he's kind of pointing to, and I wish I can't get into it fully, but it's not a, just a symbol. Baptism is not just a symbol because Jesus would not command to take part in just a symbol. And so there is this spiritual component to baptism that separates us from our past oppressor. Remember when Israel went through the sea 
They get to the other side. Egypt is tracking them. They get into the middle. The sea closes in on them and washes away all of Egypt, washes away Israel's oppressor, and they are free. And so baptism is in the spiritual, is separating us from being um, in bondage to the oppressor, the enemy, the evil one. Now, I'm not talking about that, that you are free from sin or free from temptation. That, that, that's not it. But you are no longer bound to that. And so there's this spiritual reality that baptism is. It's not just symbolic. And it's important. And so in the scripture, we see you believe, you're baptized. You believe, you're baptized. That is the only um, that is the only component that is necessary to believe in Jesus Christ. And then you get baptized. And so if any of you are now thinking about that, we do it right here on a Sunday morning. It is a joyous celebration to hear people's stories from darkness to light and how God is on the move in their lives. So I would encourage you, if baptism is something that you haven't taken part in because you feel you're not ready, I'm telling you, if you believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior and your Lord, you are ready. And so let's do it. And some of you I know I'll have to hold you under a little bit longer, but that's okay. So Lydia's family, they, they hear, they believe, they get baptized. And what I find very interesting in this, in this text also is that Paul, he just speaks the gospel message. There, it doesn't say that it was accompanied by any signs or any wonders. And so we know that just in speaking the gospel, uh, proclaiming Jesus as Lord, proclaiming Jesus as Savior, there is power in that proclamation. So much so that it brings this family to faith. It brings this family to believe in Jesus Christ. Somehow in just proclaiming those words, the Holy Spirit is released and the Holy Spirit is the one that convicts. The Holy Spirit is the one that does the internal work and opens our hearts to believe that Jesus is Lord. But that's not the only powerful thing of, of the gospel. See, we're going to see in just a minute that it's also the power to drive out demons We're going to see Paul command. There's no big process. There's no big uh, service. There's no big ritual. Just a command from one who has been baptized in the Holy Spirit, who has the power of the spirit of the living God within them, residing in them, and he commands. I, I, I love this. Check it out. Once when they were going to a place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. I would love that. Like, I win lotto once, and I digress. Anyway, so she earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and the rest, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. Now, notice, she is pointing at Paul and his friends, telling people that this is the way to get saved, and she has a spirit in her, a demonic spirit. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you, come out of her. And at that moment, the spirit left her. This is a really interesting plan. I mean, the enemy, enemy, the enemy is becoming more and more creative in his attempts to shut down the church. 
now he's coming at this group of missionaries, this, this demonic spirit in this girl following them and proclaiming that, hey, listen up, people, because, because they're showing you how to get saved here. Such a subtle attack. Such a subtle demonic attack. Because if this, if this demonic spirit can get in good with Paul and his missionaries' friends, I, I have the sense that the spirit believes that it can begin to then twist the gospel message just a little bit. Twist it just a little, just enough to make it heresy or to make it false. Just enough to get people to believe that they really are okay when they're not because they've changed the purity and the simplicity of Jesus is Lord. Well, Paul's not going to stand for it. And so they confront it head on. There is never any tolerance for the demonic having a chance to twist the word of God for its purposes. Paul turns around in the name of Jesus. Watch this now. In the name of Jesus, I command you to come out of her. In that moment, the spirit leaves. Paul had the authority. Paul knew he had the authority. Paul was not afraid to use that authority. He didn't doubt. He didn't say, Lord, if it be your will, would you free this girl from this spirit? He knew the will of God is that everyone, everyone would know the freedom that is found in Jesus Christ. That's God's will, that none would perish. And Paul knows that, and he commands, he commands that demon to come out of her. Now, I've know, I know I've said this before, but I really believe we've lost the art of command in the church. And we have kind of, um, and, and I'm in this too. I'm not pointing fingers. I'm in this too. We have kind of, um, we kind of wimpified ourselves into believing that we are powerless. I mean, we know that there's power out there. We know that the spirit is powerful. But I'm not really powerful, am, am I? And in and of ourselves, we're not. We have no power to do battle in the spiritual realm. But when you have the Holy Spirit in you, Amen. you have the same power that raised Jesus from the yes. dead. This is what Paul would say when he writes to Timothy. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. Power is the first word in that list. If you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, if you have been baptized, received the anointing of the Holy Spirit, you have the same power to command, to command the demon to leave that person. The only thing that keeps you from walking in that power is you and your, your doubt. Doubting that is within you is a lie from Satan. I, um, I had breakfast about a week or so ago with Yanel, and you know Yanel, the big guy that comes here every once in a while. 
and uh, he was sharing with me about some of the exciting things that are happening in his ministry. And, and he always, he always kind of changes the direction, and he, and he, and he, he talks to you, like, what's going on with you? And we got into this conversation about the prophetic and, and kind of moving in the prophetic and, and how all believers uh, can speak prophetically when, they're, when they listen to what God might have to say about or for another person. If we just, you know, and just trust and don't doubt. And so all of these things are happening. We're in this diner in Thomaston, and we're talking about this. And he goes, and we had a good five, ten-minute conversation. And Jan says, well, let's practice right now. I'm like, ugh. Really? I haven't even finished my OJ yet, and you want to practice. He goes, well, look around and uh, pick somebody. So now I'm trying to look around without looking like a creep, and, and so I'm sitting there. He goes, you're taking too long. He says, stop thinking about it too much. Who stands out to you? I said, well, that girl right there, the, the, um, the hostess. He goes, yeah, me too. What do you want to say to her? I said, well, I think the beginning is that this isn't the end for her. This is not just it for her. Exactly. Now go tell her. I was like, well, you know, um, well, Jan, um, I know that you're bigger than I am and and all that, but uh, maybe that's not really. uh," And he goes, all right, listen, what we're going to do is we're going to pray that if the Lord wants you to deliver this message to her, that he's going to bring her over here. As soon as those words left his mouth, I heard the Lord say, I'm not delivering anybody to you. You get off your <clears throat> and you go to her, and you speak to her. And of course, being a good Christian pastor, um, as I am, that I am, I kind of just sat there and ignored the word of God that he, he spoke to me. So uh, he was actually having lunch with somebody after that, and so the person came in, and we said our highs, and we said our goodbyes. And as I was walking out, she came out of the backside of the restaurant, walked right in front of me, and stood at the counter. I'm like, Bleh. okay. I'm now going to practice. I am riddled with, do I really want to do this? I mean, I don't look pastoral. I mean, you know, I look, I could be, just just say I don't look pastoral, okay? So I walked up to her and I said, excuse me. Yes. I said, would you mind if I share with you uh, something that I believe God wants to tell you? She went, okay. (laughs) And I launched in. And I just said, you know, this is not it for you. And I just went through this maybe a minute, a minute and a half. And, and as I'm watching her, her eyes are turning red, not with anger. And then the tears start. And then when I came to the end, she's fanning herself with something, and she goes, I really needed to hear that, and she walks away. I'm like, okay, so I'm thinking, either I better leave before I get arrested or maybe something. So I walk over to Jan and said, okay, I did it. And he looks at me and goes, well? And he looks up and says, well, she's crying. I said, yep, and I'm leaving. And so I walked out. <laughs> I got in the car and I just, I left. He later on called me and said that she came up to him and she said, what was that? Who is that guy? And he explained the prophetic. He explained that God had a message for her. Uh, He shared the gospel a little bit with her. She doesn't go to church. She kind of believes in God. Uh, She's going through this. She's applying for all these jobs in, um, in a, a child psychology, and she can't get in, and she feels like nothing, no doors are going. So it was like, it, it actually worked, okay? What, what I'm saying is, but imagine if I was just like, no, no, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to do that. Imagine, imagine someone going to work that day who doesn't walk with God, who doesn't go to church, who doesn't really think about God, and some bald tattoo guy walks up and says, hey, can I tell you something that God might want to share with you? And then an encouragement that only the Lord can bring. 
and encouragements. It wasn't about me coming up with something. It was just about me being obedient and not doubting that the power of the living God is in me and that I can go and exercise that power, not doubting what the Lord has given us. I want to encourage you, don't doubt. Because doubting will stop the kingdom going forward. So, so things are moving right along for this missionary group. Um, people are getting saved. Churches are being established. Demons are being cast out. Kingdom is on the move. But we're going to find that things are going to tense up a little bit, as always does. Especially since the enemy is not liking this whole church thing. He's not liking these guys moving in the spirit. It seems that the owners of that possessed girl, they took issue with Paul driving out that demon. And now they have lost their bread and butter. They have lost their source of income and they're not happy about it. And so they go and they get all the people wound up. They go to the magistrate, which is the leaders of, that, of the town. And they get people all wound up and uh, the leaders come out. They strip them, they beat them, and they throw them in jail. They're trying to quiet, the enemy is trying to quiet Paul. Darkness is always going to try to overcome the light. It it can't do it, but it doesn't mean it's not going to consistently, consistently try. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was a violent earthquake and the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We are all here. So Paul and Silas, they get mobbed. They get beaten. They get thrown in, in jail into the, into the center of the jail. Their, their feet are chained so they can't escape. And what do they do? They pray and they worship. When everything is falling apart around them, when they were just beaten, they pray and they worship. A violent earthquake comes shakes the foundations of the prison and their chains fall off. They prayed and they worshiped. I don't believe that they believe that there's really any reason that they could believe that this was some type of, um, some type of, What's a recipe or formula so they can escape. Like, okay, Silas, what we're going to do here is we're going to take one part prayer, we're going to mix it up with two parts worship, and then I'm sure something wonderful is going to happen. No. They're in jail. They've just been beaten. They're chained, and they pray, and they worship. You see, yes, Peter was released from jail. The angel comes in and releases him. But Stephen, remember, was stoned to death. Paul watched And James was killed. God didn't save them. And so this can go either way for them. It can end well. It can end not so well. But they chose in the no matter what to pray and to worship. First, I believe it's because they know that God is worthy of our praise no matter what. No matter the situations that we go to, he is worthy of our praise. He is worthy of us coming to him in prayer. 
And I believe, secondly, and they have seen it, they've experienced it, there is power in prayer and worship. There is power in prayer and worship. In the Old Testament, Second Chronicles chapter 20, there's a story of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, and he is under some stress, and nations are coming against him. Different nations are coming against him. And he's a little bit, he's a little bit freaked out. Things are looking really bad. And this is what he does. After consulting the people, Jehoshaphat anointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out at the head of the army saying, Give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. And as they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir who were invading Judah. And they were defeated. And the Ammonites and the Moabites rose up against the men from Mount Seir to destroy and annihilate them. After they finished slaughtering the men from Seir, they helped to destroy one another. (laughs) The army never left. Jehoshaphat sent out the worship team to praise and worship God. And the power of God was released and they win. The enemy destroyed itself. There is power in prayer. There is power in worship to shake the foundations of hell and to release those who are in bondage. There is so much power in prayer and worship that the enemy will do everything that he can to stop the people of God, to stop the church, to distract the church from prayer and from worship. Especially when the church gathers for those two things. He will do anything to stop a church. Because a church that prays together and a church that worships together is unstoppable for the kingdom of God. The enemy is busy attacking the church in these two areas. And I believe that we as a church have fallen under that attack. Not because we're special, but because the enemy knows that a church, whether it's a mega church or whether it's Oasis Church, there is power in prayer and in worship. It's why I believe that During our time of community prayer, once a month, we ask the church to gather to pray. We have consistently six or ten people come out to pray. Because the enemy knows how dangerous a church becomes when it gathers as a community of faith to pray to the living God. And he will do everything he can to stop it. And so he will put all kinds of distractions in our way. I'm not talking about sinful things at all. I'm talking about just everyday distractions to keep us from gathering to pray. I'm talking about like long days at work and you come home and you're just tired and you you don't feel like it. I'm talking about the kids have practice or the kids have sports and they have to do this, they have to do that. I'm talking about, you know, um, we haven't haven't even eaten dinner yet. The enemy will do all it can do to keep a church from coming together in prayer. It's one of the reasons why I like to pray on Sunday mornings because it's the gathering of the church and there's power when the church gathers in prayer. 
Three times, three times this church has gathered around a couple here, three different couples, prayed over them, and they became pregnant when pregnancy would not happen for them. Three times. One, we prayed on a Sunday. We prayed on a Sunday. Wednesday, she was pregnant. There is power in prayer, and the enemy will do everything it can to stop the church from gathering together to pray. Listen to me. That is an attack from the enemy. All churches are subject to it. Think of it this way. If you take a piece of paper and you put that piece of paper outside on a very hot sunny day and you put it on the sidewalk, nothing much is going to happen to that paper. It's going to get warm But that's about it. But if you take a piece of paper, the same piece of paper, on the same sunny day, and you put it on the same sidewalk, but this time you take a magnifying glass, and you put a magnifying glass between the sun and that paper, as that magnifying glass gathers the rays of the sun together, focuses them, that paper ignites and starts to burn. It's the same with prayer. When the community gathers together, there's a magnification of the spiritual realm that then releases the power of God into the physical realm. There's power when the church gathers in prayer. And there's also power when the church gathers in worship. Power that is unleashed into our present reality. And demonic darkness will do all that it can to stop the church from entering into worship. I'm not talking about just singing songs, but I'm talking about turning your heart away from all of the things that you've experienced during the week and focusing on the one true God in worship because and only because he is worthy to be praised. He is worthy to be worshiped. And the demonic dark forces of this world will do everything it can to stop the church from entering into worship. When we start sometimes on Sunday morning, there is 10 or 12 people here. And we are worshiping. And then as people begin to trickle in, um, you have people kind of putting their coats down, getting the kids situated. All of these things are happening, which then distract those who are trying to enter in to worship. The enemy will do everything it can to stop the church from worshiping. That's why I believe that we, as a church, are under a spiritual attack. Because God will move. The, the, the power of God will be released. And the enemy doesn't want that to happen. The foundations of hell itself are shaken when a gathering of God's people get together and pray and worship. I'm not saying that you shouldn't pray by yourselves. I'm not, I'm not saying any of that. But I'm talking about the magnification of the saints together, coming together, praising God in prayer, seeking him. It changes things. And everything will come against that. Everything. You woke up late. Alarm clock didn't go off. The kids are crabby. We didn't eat breakfast. The traffic, we didn't leave. All of these things, the enemy will throw in your way to make sure that you do not enter into heartfelt in worship. Because there is power in worship. The music that this worship team puts together that Ben prayerfully considers all week long 
the music that the Spirit of God has kind of spoken to him is not just the noise that we use to cover up so you can get in without anybody seeing you late. You know, I, I, I think, I believe that one of the possibilities that we, we don't gather as a community that often to, to pray, you know, fully or, or, you know, we're distracted on Sunday morning is because I think we've come to a place in church worlds that we no longer expect God to move among us. I mean, we, we, we want him to. We desire that he, he would, but we really don't expect God to move. We really don't expect him to heal. We don't expect him to save. We don't expect chains to be broken, sins to be forgiven, um, old habits to die off and fall away. We don't expect those things anymore. And so, you know, worship, yeah, we sing a few songs or, you know, maybe I'll pop in once in a while uh, to community prayer. just to, and, and so we just lose the expectation that God desires to be and move and heal his people. See, wanting God to move and expecting God to move are two very different things. We all want God to move, but do we come here anticipating, expecting, ready to turn our hearts to the living God, to worship him because he is worthy? And so this morning I decided, well, since I got you all here now, we're going to worship. And we're going to have, I'm expecting God to move. Call me silly, but I believe God's word. I believe his promises are true, and amen. And so uh, we're going to have some people uh, over in this corner, over in that corner, in the back that are going to pray. You know who you are because I've already reached out to you during the week, so take your stations. I'm going to ask the worship team to come on up here, and we are going to worship in anticipation, we are going to worship in expectancy that God is going to do some work here this morning. That he is going to change lives. He is going to heal. He is going to be released in ways that, that maybe you're just not used to. And that's okay. But we are going to worship because he is worthy to be praised. And I, I expect him to move. Join me in that expectation.